Craig Bundy is a high school football coach, a Hall of Fame high school football coach in the state of Illinois. For a lot of years, Coach Bundy uh, coached in the Decatur, Illinois area and still does coach to this day. Coach Bundy joined our podcast to talk not only about some of his kind of daily and regular routines as a coach and some of his uh, the principles that guided his work, but um, especially interesting to me was uh, Coach Bundy's discussion of some community engaged work that he does and the way that he uh, connected the Best Buddies program um, in the local community with his with his program with his team and with other teams in his schools over the years. Coach Bundy's story really highlights some of the social and kind of transformative possibilities that we can. Um, uh, achieve through sports. So the kids who had the privilege of playing with Coach Bundy over the years not only had the chance to win lots of games and to um, thrive on the football field, but also to uh, learn about uh, other kids in the community and to support other kids and to uh, see their role as uh, positive members of society. And and I know his work has changed lots of lives of of kids and families that he's touched over the years. So a real uh, pleasure to have Coach Bundy on the show and learned a lot from him. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Coach. How are you doing? I realized she was right. I, I, I don't know 
why I was in, in respiratory therapy, but I changed to, you know, a physical education major and biology minor, uh, with health and driver education. And, uh, so I got into the field that I should have been in all along. Um, and then, uh, but I always thought back to, you know, my high school coach, Dick Munn was his name, um, to, uh, you know, what, what types of character influences he had on me. And, um, so I, I graduated and, and I was in coaching. I, I became a head coach way, way too early. I, I was an assistant for all of two years. One of those was as a student teacher. So truly only one year as an assistant. And then I took a head coaching job at 23 years old, uh, which in retrospect was a huge mistake. Um, you know, you think you know something and then you get into it and you realize you don't know anything. Um, coach, if I could jump in, what, what were some of the things as you look back that you did not know? I didn't, I mean, you name it. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about practice organization. I didn't know anything about, I didn't know, truly know, you know, specific football strategies and concepts. And, and I'd always played skill positions. I didn't know anything about, you know, offensive or defensive line, linebackers, uh, just specific things like that. I, you know, I, I was 23 and my seniors were 18 years old. I was only five years, you know, from their age and I was immature and, you know, I was, I was coaching as I was coached and, you know, I was a yeller and a screamer and because that's how I'd been coached. So, you know, looking back, it's just, you know, I, I made such a mistake becoming a head coach way before I was ready to. And I, I needed to learn from somebody and, the break of all breaks for me, I got out of coaching for a year. My brother was a pharmaceutical sales rep, made a ton of money. And I thought, well, I'm not making much money. I was coaching a Catholic high school, the one that I graduated from. I went back as the head coach there. And uh, I thought, you know what? I, I want to make money like he is. So I got out. I went into, I was in sales for a year. And it, it, I look back and it's truly one of the, breaks if you want to call it that of my career because after about five or six months and I was doing well but I realized how much I missed teaching and coaching um, and uh, one example I can give I was at a sales meeting and, and that we had every morning and everybody's taking notes and all excited about all the you know product sales and everything and I was diagramming how to attack the Bears uh, 46 defense uh, <laughs> during during this meeting and uh, one of the one of the guys that I work with said, what are you doing? And I told him, he says, why are you in sales if you really like to do that? And I said, you know, you're right. I, I should go back. So uh, I got really lucky. And, and one of my, uh, a guy that I, I knew just vaguely, Kevin Cosgrove was the, uh, was an assistant coach at the university of Illinois and he was in charge of graduate assistants. And I called Kevin and wrote Kevin and bugged Kevin for, Oh, I don't know, three or four months, and and I got very very lucky to get a graduate assistant job at the University of Illinois uh, when Mike White was the head coach. And again, I, I really thought I knew a little bit of football after being a head coach for I believe five years. 
Um, so I was in my late twenties when I went to Illinois and, and then I got there and I realized, boy, I knew nothing. And this was the, so with it, that's where I learned how to organize a practice, uh, team management, uh, everything. I mean, I could go, you know, strength and conditioning, if, you know, and I really tried to soak up everything that I could in retrospect. I probably, not probably, I should have done even a better job than I did, but it was the break of my uh, career getting that graduate assistant job. Um, so I was at the University of Illinois for two years, and we had so many coaches there that, that I mean, Coach White, our head coach, really treated me fabulously, and, and I was given some responsibility because I worked with our defensive coordinator that was Bob Gamble, and unfortunately Bob has passed away a few years ago but he was a great man and uh and i learned so much from him and um and all the coaches there at the university of illinois and then then i left there and uh uh i couldn't find a college coaching job so i went to moments high school small high school up just south of chicago and we had three really good years three really successful years and uh uh but i always thought about getting a college assistant job so I got another break and I got got hired at Indiana State University and Dennis Rates, the head coach there, was also very instrumental in, in my learning process and, and then as a full-time assistant at Indiana State I was given obviously more responsibility than I had as a graduate assistant and I was recruiting and doing those types of things so, you know, I look back and I learned so much from Coach Rates um, and feel very fortunate to have been on his staff after three years there, I realized my niche is as I wanted to go back to high school coaching. And uh, so I took a head coaching job at Champaign Centennial. I was there for two and a half years, and then I uh, moved to Bradley Bourbon A, where I was for 14 years as a head coach and kind of found a place that I really felt like was home. And, and so I was there for 14 years. But all of those coaches um, taught me so much, and I'm so you know, grateful for the influence that they had on me. Coach, you said that when you were that brand new coach, when you're just a young guy, the head coach job that you weren't ready for, that you were a yeller and a screamer because it's what you had um, seen and what you'd had experienced yourself. After all of those really valuable developmental years, you know, at Illinois and other places, um, what would you say your identity as a coach um, emerged as so going from a yeller and a screamer maybe like you had seen what was it on the back end of of all of that learning that you that you had well I, I just you know the older I got I realized that yelling and screaming wasn't necessarily teaching and coaching it, it was more just for me getting frustration out as opposed to instructing and leading and uh, you know my former players would would probably laugh at, at me saying that it wasn't as, nearly as bad as I was, but because uh, I had my moment, believe me, I think most coaches do. Uh, you know where I did raise my voice, and I would I did still continue to do a little yelling, screaming. But you know, you just realize after a while that you you need to be really effective when you're going to raise your voice, when you're going to yell and scream. It needs to be you know, uh, uh, the proper time to do it. And if all you do is yell and scream, they're going to tune you out after a while. It's not going to have the impact that it, that it, certain things 
need to have. So you know, but, you just you just learn that as the older you get. And uh, could I uh, could I ask but, you? That's an, actually an interesting uh, thing that I I guess I haven't given a whole lot of thought to is what are the types of situations in which a good yelling is necessary? Because clear, clearly, you're right. Sometimes that is needed in in sport. Um, are there certain types of situations where you felt I need to get on them pretty pretty hard right now? Yeah, I would think effort. You know, if if, if you're not getting effort out of your players um, or concentration, focus, that would be a time to to you know raise the voice and and really try to get their attention. If you're if you're you you know trying to teach concepts or, or techniques and they're just struggling to pick them up or if a kid drops a pass for instance and it wasn't an effort thing it wasn't a focus thing it, it was an ability thing you, you have to learn to you know accept that and, and just calmly try to try to you know coach and, and improve skills so uh, I still to this day when I'm coaching if 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 it's an effort uh, or a focus thing, I, you know, I'm definitely going to raise my voice and try to get their attention quickly. But it, but the, the skill development part of it, I try to be a little bit calmer. As a as a young coach, as in comparison with your later years, so you you are a highly accomplished coach, a Hall of Famer, have won at high levels. Um, how did you did you view conflict differently as a as a more experienced coach later in your career than you did as a young coach? Absolutely. You know, as a the older I've gotten, I'm in my sixties now. You know, you you you. In my opinion, I I see the bigger picture much better now. Um, I think about kids. What did they get to eat during the day? Uh, what type of family situation or, or lack of uh, do they go through from, you know, 8 o'clock to 3 o'clock before they come out to the practice field? Um, I, I just, I think experience teaches you that you're coaching human beings and, you know, the, the football part of it should be the fun part of their day. It shouldn't be the hard or the stressful part of the day other than it's going to be demanding, but, um, you know, practice I'm talking about, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, when you, when I was younger, I was so focused on, on winning and the stress that that creates and, uh, not as focused on, on the individuals. And then, you know, the older I've gotten, I, I've, I realized that the personal part of it was is by far the most important part in developing uh, human beings that are going to, you know, help others. Um, it's it's by far the most important. I know one source of common conflict for a lot of coaches relates to parents and the role that parents should and should not have. Um, did you have certain? policies regarding parents like specific roles you wanted them to take and specific things you did not want them to do and and how did you communicate with them about your policies 
Yeah, you know, I get asked all the time, is, is coaching different than now than it was when I first started? I started in, I think, 1979 or 80, something like that. Now it's, you know, 2020. Um, is, is, it, is coaching a lot different or are kids a lot different? And I, I generally have always said no. Kids are pretty much the same. Uh, parents are a lot different. Uh, and that is that has changed throughout my coaching career. Uh, so um, you know what I always did. Uh, you know, again, as I got older, I learned this. As I got older, I would have a parent meeting, and I would basically, you know, set down some some guidelines that I'm gonna. I promise parents I'm gonna care for their kid. I'm gonna I'm gonna be hard on them. I'm gonna be brutally honest with them. I'm going to try to make them, you know, as good a football player and as good a person as I possibly can be, and they need to trust that. And if they've got a question about, you know, their son or um, uh, when it comes to their academic development or their social development, um, I would be happy to talk to them. If they're going to, if they want to know playing about playing time um, or uh, the role on the team, uh, I would not be, you know, uh, able to speak with them individually because the rule is the best players are going to play, the kids that, you know, do what they need to do. And that's why uh, the people that are playing are playing and if their son isn't playing, it's because he isn't one of the better players. And uh, so I, I do think that, that that has served me well. Uh, I didn't have a ton of conflict from parents i think most of them understood that i was trying to be fair to everybody and and i do think if kids feel like you, you treat everyone very fairly um and you treat them all the same that that they respect that and uh, so i i didn't really looking back on my career i did not have a lot of parent issues or parent troubles um and I did have some take me up on coming into the office and wanting to know about their son socially on the team and, uh, you know, things like that. And, and, I, and I was very open to having those discussions, but, uh, and it was kind of refreshing to, to have it. But, um, but as far as the playing time and the, the team aspect of it, I just, uh, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't have much trouble. Coach, it struck me as, as I've been having these really great conversations with so many other great coaches that some of the most um, successful coaches on the field who you know win a lot of games, win championships, just like yourself, um, are really purposeful and they invest a lot off the field. And I'm really interested in learning about that, especially you know part of our focus with this whole series is we it's called sport and the growing good. So how do we help improve lives? How do we help improve society through sport? Um, and I and so one of the aspects of your work that has been really interesting for me to hear about, and I'd love to hear more, is your um, the kind of partnership or the the work you've done with the Best Buddies program with your with your uh, players. Can you talk about that and what what it is and why you did it with your team? Sure, um, I'm very proud of it. We um, I had been at Bradley Bourbon A for. I'm going to say two or three years, and uh, the uh, director of our special needs uh, uh, kid that uh, the high school there was a friend of mine, and she did a wonderful job with her with the kids there in the program, and we had a really big success.
And uh, so one day I, I asked her, Becky Heddens was her name, and I said, Becky, what could we do as a football program to help your kids? Because I know I see them at games and, you know, they, they just love our players. And she said, that would be, that's a great idea. I would love to do something. So she and I sat down and we figured out, well, let's, let's have a camp and see how, you know, attendance is. And I, I didn't make it mandatory for our players, uh, but I did emphasize how, how much I thought that they would get out of my players would get out of it, much less the, the other, the special needs kids. Um, so we started it off and, and I did not know what to expect the very first year. And, and we had a great turnout. Almost every kid on the team showed up and, and I would have them, you know, wear their jerseys and stuff that, you know, for practice. And then they, uh, brought a jersey and then I, uh, had each one of them pair up with, uh, one of the special needs kids and they, they gave them their other jersey. So we had a, we had probably a two hour camp just playing games and 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 just really really having fun um with a football atmosphere and kicking and throwing and running and catching and those things uh obviously modified to whatever they could handle but and then we came together at the end and we did some competition things throwing in a bucket and kicking and stuff and then we played a little touch football game um our players uh with uh, with their their partner, and then after that, and it, it was just my I kind of choke up thinking about it because I'm picturing it in my mind. It was just so heartwarming, um, and the smiles on their faces, and and the smiles on our players' faces, and how much they got out of it. And then the next home game, the uh, all the best buddies wore their players' jersey, and they let us out through. You know, we've got a had a, I don't know, an inflatable deal that you run through uh, before the game with the, you know, the dry ice smoke effect coming out, and and they led us out to the middle of the field, and uh, I mean it was just so heartwarming. I can just I'm visualizing it in my eyes, and and how much how excited they were, and you know I talked to our kids afterwards about it and our, our, our my players were just so excited about it and, and they made friends for life I know some of some of the kids still are stay in touch and this has been you know it's been 20 years since we probably started it but uh, um, it's and, and one thing I'm also very proud of is is we continue to do it every year it kind of got bigger and bigger every year and uh, and in other sports saw how successful it was how good it was for, for their team and, and the impact it was having with the special needs kids and the whole atmosphere of the school. So other sports, you know, boys basketball started doing a best buddies program, girls basketball. Uh, they did it. Our dance team did it with, uh, with the kids. So uh, it, it ended up, and I believe Bradley Bourbon had continued it. I know uh, the football program is still doing a best buddies football. Uh, so I'm really, really proud. And, and I have had so many players tell me that, of all the things they look back on, one of the things that they remember the most is is the Best Buddies program. And you know what we're trying to teach is is empathy and uh, acceptance and inclusion and all the things that are are also valuable to their own teammates. Um, you know, one thing that the tenet of our program 
and I, I think I got it from Rick Majerus. Uh, you know, I was thinking back the other day where it came from is, is the team together was that was our our program's motto or slogan, whatever you want to call it. And we started doing that maybe my second or third year at Bradley Bourbon A, and we continued using that forever because I didn't feel like I wanted that to be a, a tradition. And, and the team together concept, basically it's just, a, it's about selflessness. And an example, Bradley Bourbon A had, had always, just like most schools, it always named a most valuable player at the end of the season. And I thought that was counterproductive to team together. I, as a player, I always, thought it was kind of weird that the most valuable player was always the you know the running back that scored the most touchdowns but that would have never occurred without the line and football being such a unique sport that you know it's it's hard to be successful without your teammates so we never ever named an MVP we just the, the on the plaque it just said the team you know for the 14 years I was the head coach it just said the team uh, we don't put never put names on the back of our jerseys we everything I, I struggled with uh, naming, uh, putting nominations in for all conference because I, I just didn't want it to be individual. I wanted it just to be all team and, and selflessness, and, and I do think that's something that's really, really important the older our players got, that it's not about you, it's about us, it's about we, it's about, you know, uh, it's never about me. So, uh, you know, hopefully that's something that's carried on, and I tried to instill that in the in the team together uh, the, the concept of team together with the best buddies program too and that they were with us as well so uh very proud of it very proud of our players and um i still look back as that's probably a, a, as important of any lesson that that i ever taught at bradley bourbon a high school i can only imagine the the life lessons that were learned by that you're players gained from participating in that and i'm and i'm sure that the their buddies that, that they were paired up with had great experiences um this may seem like kind of a superficial thing in relation to that but do you think that doing that kind of work affects success in terms of winning and losing and a team coming together oh i think it definitely draws a team together i think it it it's just a common ground, and it's. Um, I I think it, it helps with any time you can do any team building, you know, activity or process. Um, if it's if it's done properly, I think it, it always helps. And um, you know, talent yeah, is the biggest factor uh, a, a lot of times in the winning and losing, but. Uh, but when there's equal talent and you've got a team that's that's you know that's together and that's focused and that's selfless, uh, empathetic, all those great terms, um, I think that's that's when the difference is going to be felt. Is when you get in those tough games against uh, you know pretty equal opponents. As I think about all of these um, players who had the opportunity to play for you over the years and even the broader school that you had an impact on as a teacher and a coach. Um, I'm also thinking of kind of the broader public critique of football right now. So that's a really interesting development, especially, you know, I've read about it as being particularly impactful, like in some of the suburbs of Chicago and 
um, a lot of more kind of suburban and affluent areas where, you know, there's a lot of critique about head injury and um, things associated with football that are, some people think, threatening the game. Um, as someone who's spent your life working with young people in a football context, what, what are some of your um, thoughts about the critique of football and what message do you think the broader public might need to know that they don't necessarily hear? You know, that's a great question. I, I've always felt, I, I, being a three-sport athlete, I learned a lot in, in basketball and baseball, but I don't know, football's just different. It, it's because of the uniqueness of one game a week, Friday night under the lights, um, just the physical, physicality of the sport. Um, it, it's, it's unique, and, and I've always felt like if, it's, if, you, if you coach properly as far as safety and you truly care about your, your players' uh, health um, and you, everything you do, everything you structure in, in a strength and conditioning or development, a physical development standpoint and practice is, is geared to keeping players healthy and, and doing the right things, I... I think it's just such an unbelievable sport and, and kids, you know, learn so much from, from playing it, uh, that, that they don't necessarily get from other sports. Um, you know, it is, and then I'm, you know, coaches get torn because, you know, we, injuries are inevitable in every sport. You're going to get kids hurt. It's just, it's, you know, when I was playing, people got hurt, people get hurt nowadays. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but it does happen. But uh, I just think if you if if you keep in mind the health of the player and what's best, and you know, lining up and running at each other like two rams in practice is, is going to be detrimental. You know, that's not something that's going to make them a better football player. And, and um, I think if you keep those things in mind and, and structure your whole program, I think that's the whole key: is the whole program, the strength and conditioning, everything has to be geared to injury reduction and, and doing, you know, the developing players in the proper way. I, I think that, uh, you know, football is, is just a fantastic sport for that, but, uh, I know it's under attack and I know it's, uh, uh, but, I, but I'm, I'm hopeful that with new technology and things that, that it's going to still be around for, for a long time. It has a pretty profound social impact on our communities, you know, probably more so than any other sport at this time. And over the many years, you know, as, as like you mentioned, the once a week under the lights on a Friday night, um, places where a community comes together in probably bigger numbers than just about a lot of other places, maybe like churches and other places bring people together regularly. But in terms of a, of a whole cross section of a community coming together, uh, football is, has been a, a cohesive in a lot of our communities. Yeah, and it's uh, it's also it, it, it cuts through all lines. There's no socioeconomic status when you're sitting in the stands. There's no racial status. I mean, it's you know it's all colors. It's all uh, uh, incomes, and they're just in the in the stands cheering for their team. And uh, and it's just one 
you know, a, a unified group, um, usually, and uh, it, it's absolutely wonderful.